Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops in Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. You have a special day today, Omari. Let the fans know. Yeah, I do. So uh, shout out to my dad, the original uh, Mari Sankofa. Uh, today was his birthday. And by today, I mean uh, November 7th, because we're recording this after the Pistons come back win against the Oklahoma City Thunder. A uh, big win that we'll dive into, of course. But uh, yeah, but just quick shout out to my dad, big longtime Pistons fan. Uh, and big supporter of the pod as well, so I know he'll be happy to hear this. Happy birthday, Mr. Sankofa. It'll be a little bit late if you're listening Tuesday morning, so we apologize, but big shout-out. I do know, you know, Amari, we've spoke about this, and he listens to the pod. He supports the pod. Um, we got to get him on sometime in the offseason or something like that, him being a Pistons fan. And I bet I bet he's excited for the big win on his birthday. That was a nice win for the Pistons on Monday night. A needed win, uh, no doubt, you know, just given that the team kind of was reeling after uh, three straight losses. Really the teams that you expect them to lose against the Bucks twice and uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. But, you know, I think the nature of that Cavs loss kind of put a bad taste in people's mouths without Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. So a good back on track win tonight, uh, especially just to see what they did during the second half. Um, you know, we kind of talked about it on Twitter, but they just missed a lot of shots in the first half that you would probably expect them to make. I mean, it's not too often Brand. I think he shot like one for seven. Uh, like him, Ivy and Cade, I think collectively hit like six out of 28 shots in the first half, which uh, more often than not, I think probably two of those guys are going to be at least solid in any given half. Uh, and they also just had some of the, the worst turnovers I've seen all season. Like guys were just, I don't know what they were doing, honestly. Like maybe you can bring some some, some coaching insight <laughs> of what they're trying to accomplish with some of those turnovers. But it was like five or six where I'm just like, I don't know what's going on here. Just, we, we call that lack of focus, Omari. That's yeah. the, the nice way of putting it is lack of focus. It, it, you know, Cade said it, it made me feel really smart, Omari, because during the game I was tweeting actually with, uh, you know, the great B writer for the Athletic James Edwards III. And I said, it's a make or miss league sometimes, man. Like that's just, the, it, it's not even a league, Omari. Basketball is a make or miss game. Like at the end of the day, sometimes you're on and you're making shots and sometimes you're not. And that's exactly what Cade Cunningham told you guys in the post-game presser. Yeah, we actually did too. Like I actually did because I was just like, you guys were taking good shots in the first half. I mean, you guys were doing everything right for the most part besides the turnovers except hitting shots. And you know, I just asked him, like, does that kind of make it easier at halftime to say, let's just keep what we're doing on offense, cut the turnovers out and then lock it on defense. And he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, we weren't necessarily doing anything wrong, you know, in the first half as far as the shots we were taking. Uh, so you just, you know, I think you just watch that first half and you expect some sort of positive regression as the game goes on. But, you know, I think the 29-8 run was probably just an extreme uh, you know, regression back to maybe what the, where they should have been to begin with. They were just shooting lights out for about nine minutes there, and uh, that just gave them the push they needed to, to hang on more or less. Omari, they still only shot 42% from the field in the game, so it's not like they were like 50%, and they were 27% from three. So even though they made some shots in the second half, it's not like it came all the way back. You know, what I think is hard for people to understand sometimes is when you're missing shots like that, especially if you're running good offense, it's hard to have energy on the defensive end. So it is when you start making shots, your defensive energy goes up. And I know people don't want it to be like that, but at the end of the day, it just is. It's human nature. It gets frustrating when you're not scoring the basketball or you're missing shots you normally make. Like think about Jaden. I thought Jaden Ivey really grew up tonight, Omari. We, we talked, we had a little interaction on Twitter about it. Like with, 
you know, the the Thunder were playing him a certain way. He was missing some three-pointers. He got frustrated there for a while, still found a way to impact the game. I thought he had a really nice game on Monday. I asked Kate about it after the game, and he said, we want Jaden to take those shots. Uh, if he didn't watch the game, uh, you know, OKC, like most NBA teams up to this point, uh, they go under screens and give Ivy space to shoot because, you know, if you're picking your poison, you obviously want him to shoot more than you want him to uh, get to the rim. And, you know, and he was t- taking those threes. You know, they were all open, but he missed his first five. And then he ended up hitting one toward the end of the first uh, half. And then he had a big one, I think, in the third quarter that uh, kind of helped add to that momentum. Um, you know, which Kay and Dwayne said, we wanted to, to take those. But Dwayne added, uh, he also has to realize, you know, when to drive and when to shoot. And, and like an open three is always a good shot. But I would say, you know, you may disagree with this. I think after you miss a certain amount of times, it's probably good to switch it up a little bit because, you know, his first step is so good that even with a couple feet of space, I think he can blow by some guys. And maybe he's still filling out exactly the limits of that first step and what he can and can't accomplish with it. Uh, you know, again, he did end up hitting his next two, um, you know, which kind of helped add to that momentum that they needed to come back and win the game. And in general, if you're going under a screen, you should take the shot. Like, I don't think a shot's completely broken. Like, you know, I think he has the ability to be, to become a plus shooter with time. So maybe that's what I'm I'm split on. But, you know, I thought in the first half for sure, like I think once you get to the fourth or fifth miss, you know, you kind of get the sense that they need a bucket. Maybe starting to switch it up a little bit. No, I think what it was is he just could have been aggressive and he wasn't being aggressive. It was like, oh, they're going to give me this three, so I'm just going to take it before he explored anything else. The one he hit, I believe it was in the second half, Amari, was a Cade driving kick. He was on strong sign quarter. They helped off. Cade kicked it to him. It was definitely a shot attempt. You never turn a driving kick out like that down. And so I think it's just like you said, deciding which ones he takes, which ones he can still be aggressive. And that's where I got frustrated. Like 14 seconds on the shot clock, they're playing a couple feet off of you. Your first step and explosive, if it's still good enough, you can get into the lane and either get a bucket or kick to somebody else. So I think that's like what he's going to have to figure out is the give and take of those type of shots. No doubt. It's like, just don't, don't, don't settle. Try to create something. Uh, You know, I think I got the sense of the first half that he was settling a little bit. And there were opportunities where you could create that he just didn't necessarily take. You know, they're going to give you that shot because up until this point, it's been an inefficient shot for him. So that doesn't mean you stop taking threes altogether. But, you know, if a possession thaws out, you just kind of stare in there. And, you know, I, like, I think you can mix it up a little bit. Like, don't be predictable, basically. I think if you're just predictably taking those threes, you're not making them. Uh, that kind of adds to uh, Detroit's inability to string together possessions uh, in the first half, especially with all the turnover issues they had. So... Uh, you know, it's something he'll learn. Uh, but, you know, I think with with him specifically, his first step is so good that he probably doesn't need to fall back on taking threes if he can continue to be aggressive and give the offense a little bit more of a joke. For most players, I'd probably say to just take the three for him. I think he could probably be a little bit more aggressive in that scenario. And it puts a lot of pressure on him to knock those shots down. If his process is, if they go into the ball screen, I'm just going to step behind and shoot it. Well, if he's not making them, he gets frustrated like what we saw tonight. Like, you can use that they go under, and Isaiah's really good at flipping his hips and rescreening. and then sometimes you can get the guy caught up going back the other way or lower the distance of the screen. Like, you can do things to counter them going under the ball screen. I know sometimes Stu gets called for, you know, a legal screen or whatever, but, like, you can do things. I just don't want it to be his default. I think we're saying the same thing, Amari. Like, just don't let it be your default that if they're playing off of you, I'm going to shoot 10 threes because that's not the process we want from Jaden Ivey. You know, you want a guy to take open threes and in general, but for him, I think you can 
have a little bit more leeway and he could be a little bit more creative in some of those scenarios for sure. Uh, you know, I think as he and Isaiah get that screen game uh, down a little bit more, you know, packed, I think over time we'll see that he's able to, you know, punish guys for going on the screens in different ways. You know, I also wouldn't hate to see him even step into the mid-range a little bit. You know, like we talked about Cade, you know, the DeRozan comparison, but Ivy's actually more DeRozan-like as far as his athleticism. And, you know, if he could hit those short pull-up jumpers, I think that that would open things up as well. So it's not just the three for him. I think it's a variety of ways he can punish that. Well, and I think this team is the best, Amari, whenever they're being aggressive. We saw it to start the second half. I think, you know, I'd have to go back and I will go back and watch the beginning of the game. I felt like they were getting downhill. I thought the beginning of the game started well. And then, you know, the Thunder went on the run. I'm sure we'll talk about the bench here at some point throughout the episode. I, I know we will in, in a little bit. But then in the second half, they come out and they got downhill and they got aggressive. And again, we've talked about the free throw attempts, Amari. 33 if free throw attempts from this team tonight. And it's just like there's Sadiq Bay eight attempts. Cade got four. Boganovich got four. Duran got six. Diallo got four. It's a really impressive for the improvement this team has getting into the lane, getting fouls drawn, and getting to the free throw line. Like it, It's been a shift in mentality that, that I've really enjoyed watching to see here early in the season. Yeah, Sadiq uh, innovate at the line tonight. Uh, I think it's been really good to see him um, you know, step up just as far as not only making the point to get to the rim, but being physical down there, enjoying that contact. You know, I think if there's anything you picked up from Jeremy last season, it's, you know, you can, you know, keep things alive, even if you're not necessarily shooting it that well. I think he was one of seven for three tonight. Yeah. Um, you know, just by crashing inside and, uh, you know, just drawing that, that contact. He had a team high uh, 25 points. You know, he shot eight for 17 overall. Uh, overall, we've seen him really, uh, I think, not rely on the three ball as much. He's still shooting it with volume and, you know, he was off tonight, but he's shot well enough to uh, be a threat, but he's not just relying on that. He's going inside, he's running contact, he's been active around the rim. Uh, he's rebounded pretty well, only five rebounds tonight, but in general, he's still been a pretty good rebounder. And, um, you know, I think just him adding new dimensions to his game and finding ways to kind of keep the offense afloat. Because uh, he had a, a quiet 25 tonight, honestly. Uh, like, he just, I just think he probably just had like six or seven points every quarter, and he never really had a um, a weak moment throughout the game. I think he had 12 or 13 at halftime. Like, it adds up over time. It really does. And then once, you know, Ivy started to take some shots and Kay started to take some shots, that was just enough for them to get over the top. Yeah, and I don't want to go into Bay too much because I do want to talk about him here in a little bit when we go into kind of what's been going well and what hasn't. But his process has been really good, Amari. And I thought tonight was one of his better games. He had five rebounds, a couple assists, but 25 points on 17 shots when he's not making threes is a huge night. If if he goes three of seven from three, now we're looking at a 30-plus point game from Sadiq Bay. I will say, I think one thing I was really, I thought Cade really, so Cade and Ivy took over to start the third quarter. That backcourt duo, if you want to see what that future can be go check out the beginning of the second half if you haven't or go rewatch it because you can see what that backcourt could do I thought Cade really controlled the game about midway through the fourth quarter Amari he just had the ball in his hands every time he took control he was getting buckets he's getting teammates open shots and so I thought that was really impressive he didn't necessarily was the one that closed out the game but I think we saw him kind of try to be the closer in that moment I think they were up four when the starters came back in yeah, I think so. And, you know, again, we kind of talked about positive regression earlier. I think I think for Kate, you know, especially, I think he had four turnovers uh, in that first quarter. And for him, it was just, 
uh, kind of cutting out some of the sloppiness because we know we just seen over time that I feel like he never has big second quarters. Either he comes out the gate firing, <laughs> or it's a big third quarter, or it's a big fourth quarter. But I don't know if I've, we've ever seen like a strong Cade Cunningham second quarter, and, so, and I don't know why that is. But uh, he seems to be able to, to time his runs uh, when the team needs it most. You know, again, like he didn't reinvent the wheel tonight, didn't do anything new necessarily. But you know, the passing was on point. Besides the turnovers he finished with, like most of his turnovers were in that first quarter. So. Uh, you know, I think you expect over time to clean that up. Yeah, he finished with five total. So um, outside of that, that rough first quarter, he did clean it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he was only eight for 21 tonight, not the most efficient night. Uh, but he he did just enough. I think I think one thing about Cade that I like is that uh, he's not going to lose you a game necessarily, right? Like he always, even if he makes mistakes early, he typically gets it out of his system and he's not going to have a sloppy, you know, third or fourth quarter that kind of takes you out of, out of the game. Um you know, which, again, like, credit to Sadiq. He also had 12 in that final period, which I thought kind of helped him starve off a late OKC run as well. Cade with 21, 11, and 7, and Ivy with 15, 11, and 6. Those are really good numbers from your yeah. backcourt. Getting involved. Like, we complain all the time about the offense, and they still give up 16 offensive rebounds tonight, Omari. So thank God those guys got involved as much as they did. But th- neither of those guys were super efficient. Both of them had the same number of field goal attempts as they did points. So the efficiency still has to come. It has to come with Cade. It has to come with Jaden. But they found other ways to contribute. And I actually think that Cade's on-ball defense has gotten better this season. And he's done a really good job with that. The silly turnovers at times is probably the biggest thing for me that I would like to see him improve upon. I, I do want to ask you about a player on the other team first. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That man is really, really good. I thought he was super impressive tonight, Amari. Yeah, he was good. And the Pistons are lucky that he did most of his damage in the first half because I thought he could have went off for 40 tonight pretty easily. Uh, I think he had 16 in just the first quarter alone. Um, and this OKC team, like, you look at their roster, like, I think their second-highest scorer had, like, 11 points. 11. Nobody else, <laughs> yeah, uh, 11 points and nobody else really did anything. So he's... He's he's been carrying this team so far, and they haven't been terrible. Uh, they were, I think, they're four and six overall um, after this, this this game. But yeah, Shea is just, I mean, he's just a, a pure bucket. I mean, he had thirty three tonight, uh, thirteen for twenty three shooting. Uh, did not take a three pointer. <laughs> did not, not a take single a three one. And he's only like a thirty or thirty one percent three point shooter anyway, so that's not his game. But uh, just the way he's able to get inside, like he's not like an incredible athlete, but just the shiftiness he plays with, like the way he's able to get down the area, has a really tight handle. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Like he's pretty u- unique. Uh, you know, you get another guy that's probably from the DeRozan tree of just knowing how to operate entirely inside, using his craft. And, uh, you know, another player that kind of reminds me of Kane. I think Kane's overall a better playmaker than uh, Shea Gilgius is. But, like, if you're talking about maybe the best version of Kate as a, a scorer looked a lot as like what Shea Gilgis Alexander looked like tonight, honestly. Yeah, I like the way he used the shot fake and he got the Pistons to go for it all night long on the perimeter when he got into the lane, drew fouls or got up and under moves. So I, I did want to touch on him real quick and just give him some love because I thought he was really impressive. But I want to talk about somebody else that I felt like had a good night tonight, Amari. And I text you a few days ago. I said, I feel like it's time that we talk about this on the pod. And it's Coach Dwayne Casey. He had a huge challenge tonight on a Cade Cunningham drive. He won that challenge. I think you guys all were tweeting out, like, Coach Casey never loses challenges. He always wins them. And I wasn't sure he was going to win that one. I think Coach Casey has taken a lot of heat right now that is undeserved. I think Coach Casey's done a good job. I don't think it's Coach Casey's fault that the bench isn't very good. And just for reference, the bench, even though they had some good moments and were better, everybody on the bench was at least a negative 10 or worse tonight while all the starters were at least a plus 12 or better. But 
the two best bench players possibly haven't played yet this year and Marvin Bagley the third and Alec Burke. So I, Coach Casey has condensed the lineup to nine. He's tried some different things. I, I, I don't have a problem with what Coach Casey is doing. What would you say to some fans who were li- literally calling for his job before this win on Monday night? I think fans have a tendency to kind of hyper-focus on the negative and not necessarily, you know, look at the entire picture. And I think that's kind of happens with the Lions, too. You know, they talk about when the defense is bad. And it's like, yeah, but they have like four NFL players on defense. Like, what do you expect? Like, look at Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, right? Like, you know, you need talent. Um, you know, but getting back to the Pistons, um, yeah. Like, you look at their ro- rotation and, you know, he's been mixing and matching, trying to find the right combinations with starters, with bench players and whatnot. Uh, and it's just a, a process that kind of happens over time. You know, I think people kind of live and die by like every quarter of basketball. And, you know, yeah, if you kind of judge things, you know, based on half to half a quarter to quarter, I mean, that seemed like a lot's changing. But, um, you know, like eight games ago, we were seeing them rotate, you know, full first and second unison against the Knicks. And he's completely abandoned that, you know, a week and a half later. And it's just, you know, things kind of play out. Uh, over a, a, a span of time, and sometimes it just takes time for things to click. You know, there are probably people who were like, you know, case of bust when he started one for 21 for three last year, and people were saying that unfortunately this season before he went on that tear where he was averaging like 28, you know, eight and seven or whatever it was, um, you know, a week ago. Uh, stuff just takes time to click. You know, I think we have a team of young players, and, you know, a couple of your key vets and Bagley and Burks are out. Uh, like even Nerlens was out for a bit. You know, the margin for error, I think, becomes a lot slimmer. You know, I think teams that have um, that have become accustomed to winning sometimes can keep that momentum going even when they don't have their star players in. Like the Cleveland Cavaliers have become accustomed to winning. They have a guy in Jared Allen who's just a huge, huge, huge floor raiser, you know, especially against a, a Pistons team where, you know, like, look, Isaiah Stewart plays extremely hard. You know, he's a good defender. There's only so much you can do, you know, when you're going against Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, right? Like those guys are going to feast and Jared Allen did feast. Um, you know, I think getting Bagley back, just having another big body down there and also a guy who can really score. He talked about it earlier, but offense and defense are cyclical, you know, and they feed the other end. You know, if you're struggling on defense or you're struggling on offense, it's going to affect you on every side of the ball. You know, and this team, I think, just really lacking size. You know, it's made it tough for them to, you know, kind of just switch up styles of play and, you know, maybe find new ways to get back into games. You know, so I'm not saying Bagley and Alec Burks will save the season, but, you know, just like an OKC without, you know, Gary Payton the second and, Otto Porter, some of the guys they lost. Like, maybe those role players are a bit better, but those role players make a difference. Like, death makes a difference. It's really hard to win games without it. And, you know, I think nights like tonight just shows. Like, I have people in my mentions at halftime it's time to fire it away. <laughs> and then they go on a 29 day run and take control of the game, and those people are quiet, right? So I just say, just let things play out. Um, you know, even if everything goes, you know, wrong this season, you know, you still have Victor Wimbanyana and Scoot Henderson <laughs> on the other side. So, you know, I, I wrote it before the season started, but I just don't see a, a bad outcome for the Pistons this season. Even if they exceed expectations and the rebuild's in good shape or they're right where they need to be and they get a decent lottery pick or things go completely off the rails and they make it a generational talent. Like, just enjoy the ride. And if you're not enjoying the ride, I don't know, watch something else, but... Uh, you know, I just don't understand living and dying by every game. Like, give stuff a few games to play out and just let guys get healthy before you judge them as an entire whole. Well, the thing is, Omar, he's playing the guys we all want him to play, right? Or the yeah. fan base wants him to play. No, Nerlens Noel has only played when? When it was break glass emergency situation, right? Like, yeah. that's what we're saying. And that's the only time he's played. Kojo is out of the rotation. 
He went into the rotation. He's out of the rotation. And Killian Hayes isn't playing well right now. And he's still not playing Kojo over him. You know, I think it's encouraging some of the quotes we got from Coach Casey about Killian Hayes that they're going to continue to ride with him whenever I've kind of said, I don't know, maybe they need to change something up with him. Hami's getting minutes and Livers is getting minutes. So like all the young guys, those kind of exciting players that you want to see play are getting minutes right now. And I guess where I get frustrated at times, Omari, is we are going to crucify Dwayne Casey every time the team plays bad. But do we ever give him love when the team plays good? And that's like if we're going to critique him when a player doesn't improve, then we better give him the credit when a player does improve because Cade Cunningham's numbers are better across the board, Amari. So is that Cade or is that the coaching staff? Sadiq, Sadiq Bay's efficiency is better this year. Is that Sadiq or the, Stu's production is better? And he's been shooting the three bar really well after a slow start. Like it's gotten better. That's what I'm saying. So like, yeah. I, I want to give credit to the players and then blame the players when the players play bad. When they don't make shots, I want to blame the players. And maybe I default to that too much. But I'm like, if you're going to crucify Casey when there's two and a half bad games, then you better give him love whenever they beat the Warriors, when they almost beat the Bucks, and then whenever they beat the Thunder on Monday night. And I just don't think he gets the fair shake with those two things. I agree. And I'll just get this off my chest before we go into segment two. Stop blaming the coaches for every individual thing you hate that the players <laughs> do. Stop blaming John Beeline every time guys miss threes. And somebody was in my missions earlier, and they were like, uh, they said, so it was, like, it was about Killian Hayes, but, you know, like, I won't say what the tweet was verbatim, but they are basically like, Hayes was already struggling offensively, and the coaching staff made it worse. No! <laughs> like, what? So all the young players got better and somehow made Killian worse in a vacuum? Like, please explain how that happens. Like, it's just, to me, the lack of, like, you know, personal accountability or just the acknowledgement that sometimes players struggle and it just is what it is. Like, it doesn't mean that something went wrong or the coaching staff isn't doing its job and they're intentionally trying to ruin a player. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, that just irks me specifically because it makes no sense at all. So I just have to get that off my chest. <laughs> so I, I wish I wish we had the video, Wes. You, I wish you could have got a picture because Omari and I did the palms up to the side. At the exact Like, we had the exact same look on our face whenever he said and, and I want to say this. Like, I, I want to be fair, Omari. Like, I have critiqued Coach Casey's X and O's. I've asked for more creativity at times. So I'm not saying Coach Casey is perfect. And I I think we are fair with Coach Casey on this podcast. And I know what we're going to get. Well, Amari's a beat writer and Bryce gets to do this. And you guys have to, you know, talk positive about Like, I don't have to talk positive about him. I don't. And and you don't either. But I, I have critiqued a few things. And I do wish he was more creative at times. I do wish there was some things he would do. But at the end of the day, he's doing a good job with a young team. We've talked about it. Nothing negative comes out of that locker room. We don't hear any of that stuff, which is, I think it speaks to a lot about how he runs that team. And I just get rid of Casey and hire a young coach. I just don't think that that's the answer whatsoever. Like this team doesn't have a lot of good defenders. They don't have a lot of good shooters. And that's why they're bad defensively some nights and struggle to make shots. That's why. Yeah, and coaching staff is always going to get scapegoated uh, when the team is rebuilding and losing. Um, so I was just saying again, like, you know, you just have fans say stuff like, we've been losing for X amount of years. Like, what's Dwayne doing? And it's like, okay, well, what do you think a rebuild entails? Like, are they supposed to win 50 games and also get high draft picks? Like, why are you mad at Dwayne for them losing when he, up until this year and even now, he's still missing some guys. The rosters have not been constructed to win. Like, I guess that's the thing I don't get. Like, do y'all... 
Like, how are you supposed to win and re- re- rebuild? Like, rebuilding means you lose games. Like, to me, you don't fire a coach because he is losing games in a rebuild. You fire a coach if you, if you have, like, three all-stars and, like, everything to win you're losing. Like, don't punish Dwayne because the front office was like, we're doing a full rebuild. That doesn't make any sense. Then it's the player development, Omari. But again, if you look at the numbers, is Cade Cunningham, let me ask you, is Cade Cunningham better this year than last year so far? Yes, I would say overall, yeah. Even if some of the numbers aren't quite there, yeah. The, but the, a lot of the numbers are. The three-point yeah. shooting didn't get better, but everything else I think essentially is. Sadiq sure. Bey, Sadiq Bey, at least a little bit better or the same? He's better. Like, he's way more efficient. Agreed. And I would say maybe uh, the playmaking isn't quite where it was last year, but that's not his swing skills. Swing skills has been an efficient score, and he's been way more efficient this year. Yeah, okay. Um, Isaiah Stewart, better this year or last year? Better, 100%. He's been and knocking the, out threes. And the production is better. He's averaging a stinking double-double right now. Jaden Ivey, better through 10 games played than what he, we thought he was going to be as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, according to, you know, some of our listeners, we thought he was going to average five points a game. So That's he's not been what better. we said. <laughs> he's, he's been, been better. better. He's been better. Yeah. And Jalen Duren has been. And so maybe we just have low expectations. All of these young dudes that really matter have been better from last year to this year, or these two lottery picks have been more productive than what we even thought. The only one. The only one is Killian Hayes. And, I mean, okay, if you want to put that on the staff, that's fine. Like, to me, Killian's got to find his confidence. But I know we're about to talk about that as well. And and we've gone too long on this. But it's like, I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he's Eric Spolstra or Popovich or whatever. But when they lose on given nights, it's not his fault. When they're missing shots, it's not Beeline's fault. Like, the players got to get buckets. They're the ones that that go out and, and do and play the game. And so it, it does get a little frustrating at times. So I, I should doubt. rest here. <laughs> and I'll, clo- and I'll clo- close it out because we're going to talk about some of this more specifically in segment two. But, you know, uh, development is not linear. You know, guys yes. are not always going to progress at the same you know level you want. And some guys just aren't going to pan out. And that's just how it goes. Like, you could even look at teams that, you know, quote, unquote, draft well, like the Spurs or uh, OKC or like whoever else and you look at their last 10 years and they, some guys just haven't worked out like even lottery picks it happens it doesn't mean anything went wrong some guys just don't work out and it is what it is so we'll, you know we'll talk about killing and all that in segment two of a close segment out one out here because we could clearly go for this another 10 minutes Wes Wes if you are listening which I hope you are because I need your editing notes so I can get to bed tonight um, you were right we should have spent more time or, or allotted more time for us to talk about Dwayne Casey that is my fault I should always default to your opinion so that's my bad but alright when we come back from this short break we are going to talk about the aforementioned Killian Hayes other things that we feel like has been going well and some things that we feel like this team is struggling with Melissa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. We're back with segment two. And, uh, 
you know, our structure for this segment was just, you know, three pros for the season and three cons, but we're going to cut it a little bit short and also look at Bryce's notes that he took all the good ones. So we're going to go off of his a little bit more. I got but, my notes uh, in early. <laughs> you, you, you did get your notes in early. I had so much going on today. I never actually got to put mine in before the episode. But um, Bryce, go ahead and take us away with your, your first thing that's not working this season. Yeah, so I'm going to say the small lineup, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier that Isaiah Stewart can only do so much. And I don't know what the answer is. And I do think, you know, again, to be fair and not to be overly biased, I do think Coach Casey could try to switch stuff up. But if you want to go big in the starting lineup, Amari, who's going to go to the second unit? Like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to tweet this out the other day, and I was like, no, people are just going to get mad at me. But everybody wants some Jalen Duran to start. Right? Everybody wants Jalen Duran to start. Who are you going to put on the bench, Amari? Are you going to put Stu on the bench? Well, he's playing really well. Are you going to put Bay on the bench? We just talked about how well he's playing. And then everybody's like, well, you can't put Boyan on the bench. So I don't know what the answer is to not having this small lineup in the starting lineup, but it has caused some issues in terms of offensive, like, you know, lob threats and then defensively with the rebounding, rim protection, some of those things. I think the small lineup issues I've seen more pronounced just because of the schedule. Sure, um, yeah. You know, like like last week you played Brooke Lopez and Giannis two games in a row, and then you have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, and, you know, the Knicks have some good big guys. So I think just the schedule has not necessarily timed out with the Pistons just having some death issues in their, in their front court. Um, you know, but with that said, I do think that we're seeing more and more that Isaiah Stewart's natural position probably is more of a four than a five. Really isn't that surprising because I think just based on the size and the fact that his jump shot looked pretty good, like you could probably kind of uh, deduce that anyway. But like through the first two weeks of the season, it's absolutely like, oh, yeah, you definitely need to pair him with Bagley or Duran at all times if you can. And you can still go small at times depending on yes. the lineup. Like like tonight against OKC, like they won the rebounding battle, which having Durant back helped obviously, but OKC is just not a big team in general, so there will be matchups where that works. But it probably is, you know, we, we, we may be at a point now to where you could probably discuss the merits of starting Jalen Duran full time, but even if he's still only you know having around twenty minutes a game, even if that's just like setting the the tone, like there probably is some upside there just to get Isaiah Stewart. Um, probably in a position where he's a little bit more comfortable and he's not having to navigate the trees as often. Or even if you're not starting during, maybe just getting an early rotation to get him in sooner rather than later because I do think Dwayne prefers to not uh, tinker with his starting lineup, you know, game from game. I think he likes trying to find some consistency uh, between units. So at the very least, I think it's a discussion worth having whether during or, or Bagley start, you know, I think it's a, a discussion that the team should look at. And I did want to make a quick note. The Through 11 games, the Pistons have had the same starting lineup every game except one where Jaden Ivey was sick and Kojo started. So I do feel like Casey has found that, that consistency in that starting lineup he's comfortable with. Well, I think I would like to see what you just brought up, Omar. Like, get Jalen Duran in six minutes into the first quarter. Maybe rotate Sadiq out, and then Sadiq can run with that second unit and provide that scoring punch that way. Because here's again, like, who do you take out of the starting lineup if you start Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart? Who do, who do you think would be more likely? Would it be Bay or Boyan? I mean, I think you can make the argument for either, and you know, it's probably about the same. I think the argument for Boyan is that he's a vet. You know, he's he's a, a a pro. You know, maybe you feel more comfortable with him just being able to come in and really be, you know, the featured scorer of that second unit, and then you can keep Sadiq with the young guys and 
you know, like that's your future. So maybe it's just since the right best is for him to start and Boyan to come off of the bench. I think you make an argument either way. Like, you know, I've gotten emails and tweets from people like, bring Sadiq off the bench so he can be the future guy. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, I don't think it really matters a lot either way since they're both kind of fulfilling the same role. But uh, if I were to win, I'd probably lean toward bringing Bogey off the bench just because he's the vet and he's a little bit more proven as a scorer than Sadiq is at this point. So that would really, really help the second unit. I hope we get a starting lineup sometime this year of Cade, Ivy, Bay, Stu, and Durham. Like, that that would just be pretty exciting, you know, the last few drafts and, and all those guys in the starting lineup. But g- give me one of your, let's say negative to start, and then we'll get to the positives. We, we There's plenty of positives we can get to, but what what is one of your negatives, Amari, as you're looking on these first 11 games? I mean, we talked about Cade a little bit earlier, but definitely got to get more from him. Like, I know Dwayne talks and he says, you know, we just want Cade to focus on. Uh, defense and, um, you know, moving the ball, like, which are two things he's already proven that. But uh, the bottom line for Kill is that, you know, for a player with the ball in his hands, as often as he has it, he has to be able to get to the rim, uh, you know, finish at the rim or, like, knock down open threes. And neither of those things have uh, translated yet for him. Uh, I actually thought tonight, like, I thought he was a little bit more aggressive tonight, was, you know, yeah. compared to before, a little bit. Like, he drew a foul. Uh, those were only his sixth and, and seventh uh, free throw attempts uh, this season. And, that might be um, my biggest thing with Killian is that he is a good free throw shooter and he has a size to draw more contact. So, uh, like, I, I, I do think if he just, like, barreled his way to the rim a little bit more often to try to look for that contact, it would really uh, help him just to see the ball go through the net, you know, when he's getting to the line. Uh, but he's he's got to bring something. Like, that unit, you know, through the first two weeks has not really had a go-to score. And I think we've seen Isaiah Livers kind of overextend himself a little bit, trying to create when really you just want him catching a shooting. I really don't want him having to dribble too much. And some of this will correct when, you know, Burks and Bagley get back as well. And I think it'll help Killian to have like an actual shooter next to Livers and then uh, everything Bagley does. So things can get better for Kill, but uh, he's got to find one thing he can do consistently and like stick to, to that. Like if the threes aren't falling, you got to get to the line. And if you can't get to the line, you got to uh, make a point to, you know, cut you know, take those short mid-range jumpers, just do something with consistency every night. Yeah, we saw him do it tonight. He was really aggressive. He got into the lane. He got to his left hand and he made his shot. It was super aggressive. And I get frustrated at times with Killian as well, or people supporting Killian. They, they always want to blame the unit he's playing with. And I'm like, yeah, I realize, like we've talked about it. it. It's not the perfect second unit. They're missing some guys, but you can still look better. You can still look more confident than what Killian has looked so far. And that's always been my thing with Killian Omari. Like it hasn't even been about missing shots. It hasn't been about the three-pointer or the form. And I, I do talk about that stuff. It's always about just... I feel like he is one guy you can read body language and read his demeanor and you can just tell whether he's being confident and aggressive or not. And there's just so many times you can highlight where he's not. And I just want to see him be that. That's that's all I want from Killian. And I've just said, I don't care what it takes. I don't think they're going to send him to the G League. I kind of threw it out there. Yeah, whatever it is, they need to try something to bring that out of him. And maybe it was the words, you know, and the support that Coach Casey gave him before the game today. But it, it's getting to the point where he has to show these things. There's, there's no longer the excuses of, oh, he's only played 50 games or he's only this far into his career. And uh, he's still young, no doubt. But it's it's got to start showing itself a little bit more, in my opinion. No doubt. I think we're both in agreement there. You know, and this, again, is something we kind of touched on a little bit, but bench does have to get better, uh, you know, even with, with Burks and Marvin Backley the third out. Uh, but 
again, like I just think that that unit, like you just kind of see the way it's constructed, and it's really not that shocking that they found offensive issues, even if you do want a little bit more. Like, I, I mean, I would have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure they've been outscored by the opposing bench in every single game. Uh, even tonight, you know, they got outscored by the OKC bench. OKC's bench had 41 points. Uh, the Pistons bench had 28, uh, which is insane because OKC had three guys crack double digits, and two of those guys came out for the, of the bench. Yeah, Kyrick Williams had 11 off the bench. He had a good game. And then Mike Muscala had 11 off of the bench. And both of those guys just found a rhythm in the second half. And, you know, the Pistons just don't seem... The Pistons don't seem to have any guys that ever find a rhythm on their second unit in the second half. Like, it's it's just, you know, the starters are basically carrying things. Uh, like, it's not shocking when you look at just the makeup of that group. But it's also a little sobering when you see that, like, OKC, a team that, you know, probably has as, 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 as much depth limitations as Detroit does, can still find ways to get the bond to hope. I'm really interested to see, Omari, what Coach Casey does with the rotation whenever Burks and Bagley come back. Because we've seen a nine-man rotation, right, for a few games now. And so if you bring Burks and Bagley into the fold, I would assume Hami is definitely out. But then I'm really interested to see if it turns into a 10-man rotation that still includes Killian Hayes or at that point, if it's possible, Coach Casey goes and stays with the nine-man rotation, plays Alec Burks a little bit more on ball, staggers some Cade and Ivy minutes. What are your thoughts about that? You think uh, Killian Hayes essentially is going to keep that rotation for pretty much the whole season? I think I think Killian stays in the rotation okay. uh, for now, especially. Uh, I would guess that uh, Dwayne Casey would go to 10. And I would guess that with Bagley back, it would allow him to shave some of the minutes that Sadiq and Boyan have been playing. And you can run Isaiah Stewart at the four a little bit more. Um, you know, so Livers, like he played 20 minutes tonight, 21 minutes tonight. Maybe he gets shaved down to about 15 or so. Uh, but I think what's mostly going to happen is that, you know, probably Burks replaces Hani. And then we just see uh, some of those minutes at the four spread out a little bit more with, you know, Isaiah Stewart, you know, probably playing a little bit more four than five, honestly, since I think they'll try to accommodate Duran and Bagley. Let's get some positivity in here, Amari, before we take our next break. So I'll go first. One of mine was, you just mentioned Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart's production, man, like Isaiah Stewart has been really good this season. You mentioned the three-point shooting has been solid. He's essentially averaging a double-double with 12.7 points, 9.7 rebounds. I believe that was before tonight's stats go in where I think he had a double-double again tonight. So I just think Isaiah Stewart has been playing very well this season. His rim protection, which is something that I've questioned, like I didn't notice it. So like I'll take, you know, some some heat for that has been better. It's not great, but he holds his own for his lack of size and what he has to do in there. So I, I think we talked about it earlier where he's definitely been better this year compared to last year. So one positive for me through 11 games now is Isaiah Stewart's just production, activity, and what he's brought to the court. Yeah, I mean, he really has been good. And I think he's arguably had the hardest job on the team so far with just sure. the depth issues they've had um, in their front court. You know, he's had to consistently battle against, you know, bigs a lot bigger than he is. And, uh, you know, again, I think the defense has still been pretty solid. Like, he's he's rebounded really well. Uh, just the energy and hustle's been there, and he's having his best season offensively. So there's really been a, a lot to like about him. Uh, I also just say the rookies playing to their strengths. I think Ivy coming in immediately, and you know, just uh, finding his niche, like being able to get downhill. And we talked about his passing being better. I think it's been really good to see. 
Um, you know, again, the shooting will be a work in progress. Like, he's got some things he has to work on, but uh, that was his bread and butter in college is just getting to the rim, and he's already been... Even that has room to improve, but he's been really efficient getting downhill. He's been one of the better downhill guards in the NBA so far, which I think is really encouraging to see because you absolutely want him to be good at the stuff that he was drafted to do. Uh, so he's passed that test. And then Jalen Duran as well. Just coming into being a big body, like rebounding, blocking some shots. Uh, he has a lot to clean up as well. Like I think he kind of has some, some field stuff offensively that um, – you hope would improve with time, you know, when he's kind of gets out of his comfort zone, just not being a lob catcher or uh, just put back guy, whatever it may be. Uh, but the Pistons really do need, and they really have needed just a good energy rebounding cleanup big. And he's been that and it's made a big difference. Yeah, it makes you wonder if almost the better thing to do if you were going to go bigger in the starting lineup is to actually put Marvin Bagley the third in there with Stu and let Duran continue to come off the bench and just bring that energy and that athleticism there with the second unit. I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. It just it would be a consideration as well. But I agree with you. Those guys have come in been really good. I want to throw out two more and it's going to kind of be these young core guys that we talked about the whole episode. I have loved Sadiq Bey and the process he's stuck to Omari. It's catch and shoot a three. It's catch, shot fake, and drive to the rim, and his finishing has gotten better or getting to the free throw line. His overall shooting percentage is better this season compared to last season, even though the three-point shooting is still streaky. Or it's get in there, draw help, and, and kick it out. I just love that he's kind of stuck to that catch and shoot or shot fake, straight line drive, don't try to do too much, kind of just figured out his role, and he's stuck to that process, and I thought he's looked really good doing it. I agree with that. He's not dribbling as much as he dribbled last season, which I think is a plus because, we, you know, we draw comparisons for the player he could become. And, you know, some people say Chris Middleton and whatnot, which I still think he could get there. But I think the best version of Sadiq is probably just a player who, uh, you know, catch and shoot threes, you know, like one dribble, you know, if you have space, get to the rim. Um you know, uh, defend the best you can. You probably still have some room to grow on that end, but the rebounding, uh, getting to the line has been there. Uh, yeah, like he's just embraced his role. He's played within his role. And I think uh, having Bogey next to him has really helped because like, you basically have two wings that can really shoot and kind of like score all around. And it's been a really good, and like, I think Sadiq's interior game has been better too. He's pretty it much has. shooting the same uh, percentage he shot at the rim uh, thus far, and he's still a little bit below average at, at the rim for a uh, forward, but his mid-range game has been great, and his short mid-range game has actually been really, really good. Uh, he's been, I think his shot selection inside the arc has been better. You know, he's not complicating things as much. It's funny, he's actually complicating his threes more than his uh, twos this season. I was going to say, the one thing yeah. I want, the, the process that hasn't been good, Amari, in my opinion, is the shot fake sidestep three. I don't want to see Sadiq shoot that a whole lot anymore. But outside of that, it's been good. Like you said, inside the three-point line, it's been good. It has. And you, I think with time, the three-point shooting will pick back up because that's what got him drafted. And uh, Yeah, I mean, again, if he, if he settles in and for his career, he's like a 16 points per game, you know, six rebounds type guy, but especially if the passing comes back and he gets back up to the three assists he was at last year without turning the ball over. That's a really good player. You know, he may not be Absolutely. an all-star, but just a really solid starter. You know, this kid was the nice team pick, and he's coming, and he's really worked hard, and he's really fleshed his game out. And I think he's probably – I would I would argue of all the guys who were drafted in 2020, he's probably uh, improved the most just in the sense that he could have just been a, a very straightforward 3 and D player the entire time, and he's really kind of dug down and running his offensive game out. Like, I think he's really grown leaps and bounds in the 2.5 years he's been in the league so far. 
Yeah, I mean, it might be a 16-point-a-game guy, and then the couple seasons where he shoots upper 30s or has a couple years where he shoots 40% from three, then he drops 20 a game those years. And You know, one final thing I, I just got to bring, Cade Cunningham's mid-range game is just a thing of beauty. It's it's art in the way he gets to it. Essentially, anytime he wants, he looks really comfortable there. I know the three-point shot, there's still some stuff and consistency has to work out, but we couldn't move to the break before I brought up Cade Cunningham's mid-range, and that's definitely been something that's been working here in the first 11 games. You know, the mid-range game starts a place in today's NBA, especially for guards like Cade, who will probably have some issues uh, finishing out the room at a high rate. Uh, it's just an easy way to you know, punish defenses for, for dropping on you. And I think him and Ivy together, um, you know, especially if Cade keeps talking about mid-range shots like that, and Ivy's basically everything, he's not as far as a slasher will. It'll be a pretty good uh, combination offensively so they're really something good all right we're going to get to segment three uh when we're going to do a segment where we look at some stats and we basically dive into how much we believe it'll hold up throughout the course of the season all right hey carlos just a quick idea how about if i say hey this is sean windsor and you say hey this is carlos Mars, and i'll go and then we'll go back you want you want to try that yeah that sounds good okay you ready yep Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, guys, we are back, and we're going to bring in our guy, Wes Davenport. We always tell you we try to get him on the pod as much as we can with all the work he does, and we're going to do a stat segment. Do we believe? So essentially, Wes is going to give us a stat, and do we think that's going to keep up throughout the rest of the season? So, Wes, lead us off, and if you need to explain any more, me and Omari don't always read the outline very well. So if you need to explain any more, explain any more. No, I think you guys got it. So I'll just tell uh, which one of you two to go first or to respond first and just kind of bounce off from there. Uh, so, Amari, you first. The stat is Kate Cunningham is fourth in the NBA in pick-and-roll ball handler possessions. Uh, do you think that's a trend that's going to continue the rest of the year or will it taper off? I think it'll continue, uh, you know, because for one, he has not necessarily had the best pick-and-roll support so far. So, you know, I think the fact that he's fourth and then you're going to get Marvin Bagley back, you're going to get Alec Burks back, and uh, Jaden Durham missed some time. So, you know, Durham ideally stays healthy. You know, if he's already fourth now, it's just hard for me to see how that doesn't stick. Yeah, I'm with you as well, and I wrote it down on my notes, Amari. Marvin Bagley the third comes back, and we know Kate and him had chemistry last year. They're going to play minutes together. Jalen Duran should only get better throughout the season. And the other thing is, I don't know who's going to take those reps from him. What Who's going to take those possessions from him, Amari? Or like, what other offensive game or set are they going to run where... Cade Cunningham pick and roll isn't better than doing something else. So if it's what they're doing now and he's playing pretty well, I don't see why they would go away from it any more than than what they have so far. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised he's, he's fourth, but at the I same time. I was surprised time, as well. Yeah, you know, but I guess it makes sense just because the ball is in his hands and he's certainly been one of the NBA leaders 
been touching so far. So, yeah, if he's fourth down, then, I mean, he, he might be up second by the end of the year. Who knows? But I don't think it's going to slip too much. And for the context on that, too, he's almost at 12 possessions a game. So it it's a, quite a bit that he's been getting. Um, but, okay, so on to the next one. Bryce, you first. The Detroit Pistons are third in the NBA in free throw attempts per game as a team. Is that going to keep up or fall off? So, you know, I mentioned earlier on the pod, like I love this stat for the Detroit Pistons. I just don't know that I believe it's going to stay there, man. Like I want it to. So if I had to say, I'm going to say this, I think they'll stay in the top 10 Omari in free throw attempts per game, but I don't think they're going to stay in the top five in three free throw attempts per game. So I'm split because this is another stat where it's like they've been getting to the line a lot, but you know, to see that they, you know, through 10 games that they were third is probably a tick higher than I would have expected. Yeah, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to say I think they will stay in the top five because it really has been a team effort. I think we kind of saw Sadiq getting to the line last year a lot, and I think that that's here to stay. Um, you know, Isaiah Stewart. So Isaiah Stewart is not probably going to be in the post as much once they get to full health. So I guess the question is, do Duran and Bagley pick up some of that slack because Isaiah Stewart is actually a pretty good free throw shooter for a big and Bagley is okay. Duran is okay. Well, maybe he's a little bit worse than okay. <laughs> we may be a little <laughs> gracious there with the yeah. okay. <laughs> um, huh. It's attempts, yeah. so the, the makes don't yeah. matter. It's it's only attempts. So. Yeah, and, it's a, and, it, and it is attempts. Who is like at the bottom? I'm checking real quick. So the Clippers at the bottom with like 19. So it's a pretty significant disparity. I think they stick in the top five. If they get okay. through 11 games, I think they'll. I think they'll stick. I think I mean, like I, maybe I, yeah. They, if they, they do slide, it won't be too much lower. Make them, but maybe stay like six or seven or something like that. But I'll just say they, they stay top five. I think I'm being a, a fan right now and just being like, no, the refs aren't going to continue to give him calls and, and get him to the free throw line that much. So I'm just being the negative fan right now, like the Detroit versus everybody and the you know the refs hate the Detroit Pistons. But they do, like Stu's been getting to the line. We've mentioned it multiple times now. Sadiq Bay's been getting to the line. Jaden Ivey gets into the lane and puts pressure. I do think Cade's getting a better whistle here in his second season than he did in his first season so Boyan kind of sneakily gets into the lane so it, it may be I, I, again I don't know that it stays top five I think top 10 is realistic but they definitely have an emphasis on putting the pressure on the lane and getting to the free throw line so um, it's exciting to see it's probably my favorite stat from here early in the season and I did uh, forget to clarify earlier so this is all before the Thunder game all these stats are so uh, moving on, Amari, you first. The Pistons are 27th in the NBA in blocks per game as a team. Is that going to keep up or, you know, will there be some reinforcements and they fix that issue? I think they're going to get a little bit better uh, just because, you know, there's a chance Duran could seize a bigger role as the season goes on, depending on how well he plays. And Marvin Bagley is not a great shot blocker for a big, but he is another guy who will add to the total and they haven't had him. So, you know, I think just by them, Get playing a little bit bigger, you know, once they get healthy, um, they will improve in that area pretty naturally. Uh, at the same time, like, this team does not necessarily have, like, a transformational shot blocker. Like, I think Duran is, like, tops of the team right now. I mean, he has, like, like, a shot and a half and, like, 20 minutes a game. So he's been a plus on that end. But Isaiah Stewart, like, he's good defensively, but he's not a guy who's going to block a lot of shots. Uh, Bagley, like I said, it's not the guy who's going to block a lot of shots. Like, I think they get better just because Bagley will, will get back and Durant 
like missed some games. So if he had played on ten games, on eleven games so far, it'd be a little bit higher in that category. But like, I don't think they're going to be like in the top half of the NBA. Like, I think they may go from like twenty-seven to twenty-two or something like that. Like, it's still going to be below average probably by the time the season is. Yeah, I mean, Stu's rim protection is more about like him contesting shots and you just, you know, as I watch it closer, you see a lot of misses with him contesting at the rim and guys just aren't able to make the shot, not necessarily him blocking it. You know who this team misses in terms of rim protection, Amari? I think it's Jeremy Grant. I think Jeremy Grant was underrated, underappreciated as a weak side rim protector, like the low man on the weak side. And then he comes across, he's athletic, he's a good defender, he had good awareness, and he protected the rim a lot in those situations. And the Pistons don't have that type of player on the roster. Jaden Ivey's not big enough. Cade's not really athletic enough. Same with Sadiq and Boyan. You know, when Isaiah Stewart goes to the four, which is where Jeremy was playing a lot last year, it'll be interesting to see if Isaiah Stewart does a little bit of what we saw from Jeremy the last two years where he would be that weak side rim protector. So I'm going to say they stay in the bottom five, you know, 25th to 30th. Maybe that's the bottom six. I don't know. Math confuses me sometimes. But I think I think that's what I think that's where they're gonna stay because they don't have that type of guy on the roster that's gonna do those things. Of course, unless Weaver trades for somebody that that would be more uh, proficient at it. Yeah, I think we pretty much agree. Like I think they could improve slightly, but it's not gonna be enough to really make a huge jump in any meaning, meaningful way. So yeah, they probably stay bottom six, bottom seven this season. Well, Bryce, we'll keep talking about Duran then. So per 100 possessions, excuse me, he's averaging 17.2 points, 15.5 rebounds, and three blocks. Is that going to keep up or is that a little high? So so here's my thing. I love per 100, Wes, and you know this. We've talked about this. But my only thing with per 100, Omari, is I don't know the context of like, okay, what does other big guys do per 100 possessions? What is what is Evan Mobley's per 100 possession numbers? And so I need to do a little bit more of that. You know, per game, it makes a little sense. Like it's easier to understand the context. I would just say yes in terms of I think what he has done in his minutes, Omari, he can continue to do. I don't think he's done anything more. You know, he's not banging jump shots yet. He's not even been really good in the ball screen and roll. It's been like transition offensive rebound dunker spot those type of things I think he should get better and actually get some more production in those type of things so whatever those per 100 possessions are I would say at the very least they say the same if not get a little bit better because I don't think they're taxing him too much especially when Bagley comes back where he's going to wear down and really hit a rookie wall yeah I think he should be able to sustain it to an extent as well uh, he's been he's been a permanent monster, uh, but I will say I'm looking at Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Durant's per 100 possessions kind of back to back here, um, and this is also updated through 11 games since we're recording this Monday night. Uh, but Isaiah Stewart is scoring more points per 100 possessions. He's grabbing more rebounds per 100 possessions, but I think what's really separated Durant is that uh, he's been um, a really good offensive rebounder. You know, I think which is. Um, maybe been a little surprising because he's in a team with offensive rebounds per 100 possessions. Uh, he's been a, a, a per minute, like, just really good player so far, like, per possession, like, really good, I think, in limited minutes. And I guess some of that depends on how much his role expands as the year goes on. If he does get to the point where he's playing 30, maybe that declines a little bit just because he is playing against starters more often than, like, second units. But 
Uh, I think he'll he'll maintain it. Like the stuff he's doing now is nothing that is outside of his capability. Like we knew he'd be a lobster, we knew he'd rebound, we knew he'd black shots. But he's been doing that, so I think he I think he sticks to it pretty closely. What are the actual defensive rebound numbers between those two per one hundred possessions? So Isaiah Stewart is grabbing, and this is the other disparity. Durant's better on the offensive glass, but Isaiah Stewart is grabbing eleven point one defensive rebounds per one hundred. And Duran is grabbing 7.7 wow. defensive rebounds. So per 100 possessions, Duran's grabbing 7.7 defensive. K is grabbing 7.5. So he's basically been K on the defensive glass and the best on the team on the offensive glass. That, that doesn't surprise me. Like the, I, We brought this up after Summer League that there were a few questions with his defensive rebounding. And remember, this is per 100 possessions. So it's all equal in terms of opportunities, essentially. And I do I think we've brought this up, Omari. He did only play 25 minutes per game in college at Memphis in his freshman season. So I don't know that he's a guy that's ready to play more than 20 minutes a night as he goes throughout his rookie season. And it does, you know... It, wear on his body a little bit. So I think 20 minutes per, per night is probably where we're going to see him uh, th- this entire year. So, Wes, that was a good one. What do you got next? Now let's go to Isaiah Livers, uh, Mario. So he's been shooting 40.6% from three on four attempts per night. Is that going to keep up or is there going to kind of regress a bit? No, that's going to keep up. I think before the season, I predicted that Isaiah Livers would lead the team in three-point percentage. And uh, it's kind of surprising. Well, I won't say it's surprising. He's shooting 40.6%. I think the second unit has been so bad that you see Isaiah Livers is still shooting 40% from three, you know, just throughout all the muck. And it's like, oh, okay. So that's pretty good, obviously. Yeah, I think he sticks to it. Like Isaiah Livers is a shooter. Like that's bread and butter. And just awesome because I want my predictions before the season to come true. Like I would like him to uh, make me look good. So I'm just going to say that he'll stick to it because – I mean, why wouldn't he? He's a shooter, right? I mean, Boyan's shooting like 50% from three, so he's got like 10%. Uh, not anymore. Boyan struggled a little bit here the last couple of games. He was at one point. I'm going to say it's six as well. I think he can stay over 40% from three. I'm with you, though. If you would have asked me what Isaiah Livers was shooting from three, I would not have said 40%. And I don't know if it's the second unit as a whole, if because I am such an Isaiah Livers fan that every time he misses, I kind of remember it and don't remember the... Ma- I, don't, I don't know what it is, Amari, but you're right. It, it, I wouldn't have guessed that it was that efficient from the three-point line right now. Yeah, it seems like he'd be like 32. Yeah, something. I agree. So for this next one, Bryce, I'm going to read off the stat lines of, of two players, um, and we'll, we'll have to decide, you guys will decide if it's going to keep up or not. So the first one's Killian Hayes. He's averaging 2.7 points, 3.1 assists, and 2.1 rebounds per game, shooting 16.7% from three on 1.8 attempts in 17.8 minutes. All right. Now, Corey Joseph oh, is averaging. No, you can't do this. You <laughs> I'm going to do it. He's averaging 3.4 points, 2.7 assists, 1.2 rebounds per game while shooting 42.9% from three on 1.6 attempts in only three less minutes a night. Is that going to keep up, or is that going to change around a little bit? You said Omari's going first? They said you're going first. (laughs) You set us up. I tried to play it off. You set set us up on this one. I don't think this one was even on the outline either for us to see ahead of time. No, it's not going. It was was buried. I I just can't believe that Killian 
as much as we're laughing and kind of, there's no way this is going to be what Killian does all season. There's just, I don't believe it. I don't believe he's going to continue to be this inefficient and only provide this production. So I think he figures it out. I think he finds his confidence, whatever they have to do to find it. And it's going to be better. With that said, I still stick to, and I know Amari does as well. Corey Joseph is a productive NBA player and isn't always the worst case scenario if you got to play Corey Joseph some minutes off the bench. But with that said, I do think Killian will bump this production up. I don't know that his minutes are going to increase a lot, but the production will get better and the shooting numbers will get better. Yeah, I don't know if Corey gets enough minutes to really kind of budge off of where his numbers are now. But I would say for Killian... Uh, he has regressed, you know, from his first two seasons offensively. And I would just say that he's like he's going to get better. Like, even if he doesn't quite necessarily get to where you want him to get to, uh, I just think that this is also sustainably bad. Like, he's not he's not as bad offensively as he's been so far. Like, you know, he's put in so much work over the offseason, you know, just I want this new form as a, a shooter, everything else. Um, I think his main problem right now is just you know, the pressure aspect of the game. And, you know, I would think that over the course of the season, he will get more comfortable and you'll start to see that some of those numbers tick up a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you. He's too skilled. He's too talented of a basketball player for this to be who he is. And it's got to change. Like I say, I I just continue. I don't know what it is. It's going to change. They're going to figure it out. So one more here, Wes, pick out the best one. I know you probably had more. I apologize. We've got to do one more. So whatever your favorite one is, um, outside of that one, go ahead and hit us with it. All right, Omari. I uh, will end on Sadiq Bay on two point attempts. He's shooting fifty four point five percent. That's just on two point field goal attempts. Is that going to continue? That's really efficient. It's going to decline, but not by a lot. I think he probably will finish the season on like the the uh, okay. Well, that's tough. I'm thinking about two pointers, just like like mid range, but that also includes his percentage at the rim. Yeah, think, that's all. That's everything inside yeah. the three point mm-hmm. line. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think that declines a little bit, but not by a lot. You know, I think above fifty. You think it stays above fifty? I think it stays above fifty. Yeah, I think I think what he's shooting from mid range will probably not quite stick because he's been really hot. You know, from mid range, that's probably a little bit unsustainable. Um, I think his efficiency at the rim is basically where it's been his past two seasons. So you know, maybe that gets a little bit better. Maybe it stays the same. Um, you know, per cleaning the glass, that's fifty eight percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally biased improvement scoring inside the arc, and he may not finish the season at close to 55% from two, but I don't think it'll decline by a lot. I think that that's pretty legit for the most part. I'm buying. I'm, I'm buying Sadiq's, again, his process and the shots he's getting at the rim, how he's going about his reads and his decision-making, and I think it's sustainable. Like you said, it may drop a little bit. He'll, he'll go through a stretch where he misses some shots. Maybe he doesn't get some some calls, and so he misses some stuff at the rim instead of getting to the free throw line. But I could see above 50% from two on the season. And I tell you guys, if he's above 50% from two, that's a huge development. That's a huge improvement because all we talked about last offseason with Sadiq is, is the lack of efficiency and he was I think he's been a career 40% shooter so if he's above 50% from two the three-pointer stays around 35 that's a really really good player like we've talked about multiple times so I'm with you I agree with you Amari Wes you're the man thank you so much for putting those together we love when we can get your voice on the podcast Amari take it away my guy yeah absolutely um yeah big thanks again to Wes for uh, that last segment on um, all the all the numbers. Uh, we're gonna have to do a shooter sham here soon. Uh, so me and Bryce can embarrass ourselves not knowing all the obscure facts uh, West likes to find for us. Uh, shout out to our editor Kerry Jr. Second, our executive producer Angelette Delgado, 
and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>